What is the purpose of a Sunday church service? Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure, and it is produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor Jay Dylan Proctor. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Anthony Alegria. And thank you for joining us today. Again, please remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook, and we're also in a lot of other places. We're on Tumblr, we're on Instagram. Check out all of our content, and if you would like to help us out financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. So in serious conversation today, we're going to be discussing the purpose of the Sunday church service and look at a New Testament and look at the New Testament for guidance. But first off, we're going to do Unholiness Today, where we shamelessly compare scripture to bizarre current events. Now, you may be familiar with the ancient mythological creatures that exist in the world, and scientists have actually brought to life the Hydra. Now, this is not initially as dramatic as one would hope, but let me share with you a short bit from Live Science. Stephanie Pappas there at Live Science writes this, The tiny, immortal hydra is a freshwater animal that can regenerate into a new animal just from the tiniest sliver of its body. Usually, it does this perfectly, with one foot, one long, skinny body, and one tentacled head. Now that, that always is a nice image, the tentacled head and one foot. Already sounds like something from an H.P. Lovecraft novel. Anyways, back to our, our reading here. But with a single genetic tweak, researchers can create a monstrous hydra that will sprout fully functional heads all over their bodies. Now, of course, this does remind us of the beast from Revelation. And in Revelation 13:1, it says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Now, of course, from Scripture, we would think this was quite dramatic, and it had a very overpowering entrance when such a beast would rise up out of the sea. However, we couldn't even get footage of this because it is so small that you can only see it under a microscope, and thus it was much less dramatic than one would anticipate. Amanda, where does this line up on the spectrum of depravity to entire sanctification? Um, I think I think the story is really interesting of... Uh... For a number of reasons, one of which is it's always interesting to see how science continues to progress and what we can do with it. And even though it is such a, a very tiny creature that they can kind of manipulate to create more heads. And it already kind of genetically, as that creature can do this kind of, um, you know, you can cut up and more of it can grow and un regenerate and all those kinds of cool things. But I think especially when we tie it in with this passage and we do think of monsters and hydras and, and just these kind of big mythological creatures, there, there seems to be this sense of fear and especially um, in this passage of Revelation. But what's funny also about this passage is later on and it, it talks about like the smallest horn is the one that speaks the loudest and has this bad mouth kind of trash talking everyone and then God ultimately defeats it and it's kind of a slam against, um, it's believed to be a slam against uh, Emperor Nero. And so what's fun about this is whether uh, the, the monsters in our lives are microscopic or quite giant, um, God is faithful. So I think there's quite a, a beautiful lesson to be learned from this story that definitely moves us into a place of sanctification. Well, moving along in unholiness today, we're going to go from one beast to another. And now as a society and as people of God, we must address the fact that emotional support animals really are getting out of hand. Now, I realize that Galatians 3.28 tells us that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, it appears that some people have taken this scripture, and they would like to add the phrase, neither dog nor alligator. <laughs> for here we have a man with an emotional support alligator, 
And really, nothing can be said about this other than just let the, the film speak for itself. Anthony, if you would play the footage. And for those listening to the podcast, we really do have an alligator. He's not very big. How large would you describe him as, Anthony? At least more than toddler size. Well, I, I was going with, like, dog size. He's kind of like the height of, like, a, a cat or chihuahua, but he's about the length of he's three or four foot long, so not too huge. I bet you he's at least heavier than a second grader. Uh, yes. <laughs> he keeps comparing this to children. Um, that doesn't really help with um, the imagery here. Anyways, so, yes, emotional support alligator. Uh, according to United Press International, the owner says Wally, that's the alligator's name, his name is Wally, Wally pays frequent visits to schools and senior centers. The alligator is a registered emotional support animal but isn't granted any special privileges under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Wally spends the bulk of his time in a 300-gallon pond in his living room. And when we hear the word in his living room, we wonder, is this really the alligator's living room or is it the, <laughs> the owner, the man's living room? Anyways, the owner says that the gator enjoys watching TV and hiding in his home's cupboards because that's what we all want at home is alligators hiding in our cupboards for playful reasons. I mean, Obviously. That's, that is just the, the wonderful image we have at home. Amanda, is this totally depraved or is something sanctifying going on here that we need to consider? I think my initial reaction, you talk about a, a, a gator that, uh, especially a gator that has a 300 pound or a 300 gallon uh, pond in the middle of a living room, you start to move into some very like James Bond, uh, superhero, villain-esque um, ca uh, categories real quick. Cause like, I mean, if anyone, if you walked in someone's house and they had an alligator pond in the middle of the living room, they probably should be sitting in like a high back chair with like a cat petting a cat. You know, it just, you know. Mr. Bond. Like, that's just how that, that scenario should play out. Um, but then you talk, you hear and, like, you saw in the video, it really, this alligator does seem to bring joy to the people it meets, uh, whether it's uh, um, the, the senior citizens or the students. And so there's something very nice and sweet about this. So an alligator is a quite dangerous creature, so I'm just not entirely sure where to go with that um, on the spectrum. Um, I, I don't think it's depraved, but it is something to watch out for. You're, you're right. There, we seem to like call anything an emotional support creature. Um, and you have like somebody got kicked off an airline cause they tried to bring their emotionally supportive peacock. That's weird. So anyways, yeah, there definitely needs to be some good judgment going on here, but at least for now, the alligator seems okay. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of the, the people coming to, to pet this gator at the senior center, they look Similar to some people I have in my congregation, and I can only imagine, how, how do we think they actually react to the gator in real life? I, I well, just, I, I'll tell you this much. There's about at least between 60 and 80% of the people who greet this alligator, and upon salutation, say, see you later, alligator. <laughs> like, no. I can just hear it. I, I, that like, that can is 100%. How annoying it is. Especially you know if, the, gonna happen. if the first person in line said, see you later, alligator, every one of them said it. Mm -hmm. Amanda, what are, the, what are the chances that Oh, happened? no, I think it is. And at least two or three people will say it at least two or three more times because yes. they have to make sure you get it, right? Yes. See, it's funny because, yeah, it's, it's yes. definitely going to happen quite often. People are going to be saying, see you later, alligator. I bet, I bet that that alligator has that said to it. Well, I will say the funny thing is, like, a good portion of those people also are going to think it's their thing. 
So they're going to do it every single time. So not only are you going to have everybody else doing it, maybe like a one-off, but the people who get the multiple chances to do it, they're going to take advantage of that every time. Absolutely. Every there's, time. there's a hilarious dog meme, which is, is also a really sad dog meme. But there's a, a meme where there's a dog going to heaven, and there's like the dog version of St. Peter, and says like, what's your name? And the, the dog at heaven's gates looks up at, at the dog version of St. Peter and says, good boy. It's kind of when like it tugs at your heart. It's like, oh, the dog thinks its name is Good Boy. This alligator probably thinks its name is <laughs> See You Later, later alligator. alligator. It probably hears it so much that it <laughs> thinks like, that's yes? its name. <laughs> Hello. Oh, my gosh. I would just be so terrified if an alligator like tried to come up to me. Probably, yeah. like, just like, yes, did you call? Like, that would be a, quite a different reaction than if, like, you know, when Duke responds to his name. <laughs> yeah. Imagine right. how deadly the wagging of its tail would be, though. Oh like, God. your furniture would be everywhere. No wonder there's like a gigantic pond <laughs> in the middle of his living room. But they like, there's nothing it. else you can put in there. Maybe like it's, a couch. The on pond the side. was actually an accident. The gator in the cupboards just tore the sink out and it just all flooded. <laughs> it's it, like, mm, it works now. It, it works now. <laughs> all right, we'll be back in a moment to have a serious conversation about what is the purpose of a church service. We'll be talking about evangelism and other concepts. So stay with us. What is the purpose of the Sunday church service? Is it for deepening the flock or evangelizing to those who are outside of the flock? And let me begin this conversation by saying the life of the church itself is naturally evangelistic. But when it comes to the design and the format of how we structure church and the, the way we structure messages and the sort of content that we, we're wanting to, to hear and the content that's wanting to be presented, we really have to ask this question. So asking this question brings us to our next question of where do we expect evangelism to happen? Where do we expect deep learning, um, discipleship, that kind of uh, continual education of the life of the church, such as church history, where does that happen? And the reason why I want us to have this conversation is because there really is a lot of confusion within the church about where does evangelism happen? Where do people actually come to know Jesus Christ? And where do we expect those things to happen? Is it the the preacher's job to to only on Sunday morning, in that hour when people come together, is that where all of evangelism happens? Or is that the place where the preacher does things which are trying to deepen the flock? And again, the life of the church is naturally evangelistic, so even if you are deepening the flock, people can still be exposed to the gospel in a way that's going to convert them. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're teaching the things that you might specify for new Christians. You might be teaching some deeper things. So, I want to throw that out there because I realize people can take this whole conversation out of context and say, oh, they're trying to split evangelism away from the rest of the church. No, the, the Christian virtues are not meant to be separated out from one another. However, there are different roles and there are different times and places where we emphasize different things. There's a huge overlap between them. But at the same time, we've got to be critical thinkers. All right, so one of the first passages we're going to look at today is in Acts 6. And uh, starting with the first verse, it reads, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist, Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. 
And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we shall appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So this passage gives us a little bit of context into the beginning of the church. And as we can see, um, it doesn't specify Sunday morning or, or Sunday evening worship. Obviously, at this point in the church history, they've not kind of distinguished having a special service on the first day of the week. Um, that will kind of come later in the tradition. But there is a tradition of meeting and gathering and also taking care of the widows, people who could not take care of themselves, who needed support from others. But also what this passage kind of gives us a, a gl glimpse into, especially in today's topic, is that the church is beginning to decide that there are certain um, areas that need to be addressed at different times. And I've got to say, listening to that scripture, I can see people coming with that and be like, well, you're not taking care of this. Anyways, oh, oh goodness, I, I can relate to, to whatever is going on there with the, the leaders in the church. Anyways, um, what we see happening here is there's this logic presented that there are different ministries of the church and you can't put that all on one person's shoulders. Yeah. And you can't put that all on the shoulders of one event, even even within this text, it's not talking specifically about like a Sunday morning worship, but it is saying that there are different times and places. And the aspect of church life is actually one which is complex. It's well-rounded. It does a lot of different things. And it's something that you should carry with you through a lot of different areas of life. It's not just something which is segmented into a single hour on a few days a week. So returning to scripture, I want us to now go to 1 Corinthians. And this gives us an examination on church positions. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 reads as follows. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So as we look at this scripture, we do find that there are different positions in the church, there are different roles, there are different duties given to different people. And so when we come to the, the modern church life, and again, we start to examine who we are, and we want to be critical thinkers about the gospel. We want to be critical thinkers about how can we be the most effective in our current world, in our current culture. How can we do that? And there really is a fair amount of confusion in the church about why do we have the Sunday morning worship service? Is it for evangelistic measures, trying to reach people who are not part of the flock? Which again is a little bit different style message than what you may give to someone who has been long steeped in Christian doctrine and they're wanting to learn more. They're wanting to learn things they may have not heard before. They may be in something which is a little bit more theologically complex. And the reason why I want us to have this conversation is because there must be a balance between the different roles and the different gifts in the church. And for that matter, we need to have proper expectations about why different things happen in the church. We need to be able to appreciate things in a really valuable way. Because one of the things that really happens is that one side of the Christian's life is 
not internally looking because it just cares about the self and it's wanting this journey to the center of the self that we have a lot of in our culture, but it's where one is trying to build themselves up to be spiritually mature. They're wanting to move and be entirely sanctified. Again, that's a personal thing. They want to be entirely transformed towards the holy call of God. While at the same time, there is the need to go out and to minister to others. And you have to really balance these two together and we have to figure out where these different roles happen at church. And I know we've kind of hinted this earlier, but if we just expect evangelism to be something limited to the Sunday morning service, and we expect that's the primary purpose of that service, we're really selling short the full spectrum of the calling of the people of God and the full fellowship of the church. So we have a few claims that we're going to look at here, and I'm going to let Anthony read the claim, and then Amanda and I will respond to them. Amanda, does that sound good? Yeah, I think that will be a good plan. All righty. Claim number one. It is hard for the Sunday service to perform both roles for very long, as there are different needs for the spirit. Oh, sorry about that. As there are different needs for the people who are at different levels of spiritual maturity. Okay, so what we're saying here is that on the surface level, it seems like you can be evangelistic to someone who's not part of the flock and deeply enriching the flock at the same time. And this is actually true. You can do this because deepening the flock is naturally evangelistic. But you'll notice in the claim there that this is not something which is a good long-term strategy. So it does work well in like services where you do have a good mix of people. But in the long-term design of the church, you're going to have to realize some people need deep instruction on things that they've, again, learning things like church history, learning certain concepts, even studying things like ancient languages. There's a time and place for that where if you've got someone who is a new believer— and you go and you try to explain to them the difference between two Greek words, it's, it's not going to be very effective. It doesn't help them out very much. So, Amanda, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think um, in trying to kind of envision this, I, I have several thoughts, and I'm going to try to organize them. And I know you've kind of you've done a couple of disclaimers, but I guess just so I can put them in my own words. I think this might be hard for some people to hear in this conversation because we have lived through a church through our church life has been very much segmented. Like you only do evangelism here. You only do discipleship here. The children stay here. The teens stay there. The adults do this thing. Like it's very segmented out. And so please hear what we're saying. We're not talking about segmenting the church out any further, but understanding just like when you have a family dinner, everyone gets to sit around the table. But obviously if there's a baby, you know, he's going to be drinking from a bottle. A toddler might be eating Cheerios and the adults are going to eat meat and veggies. Like because they're at different places of their life, they need different kinds of ways of getting nutrition. Everyone's still at the table together, so everyone's still getting fed, but how you do that's going to be differently. For our specific topic today, when we talk about Sunday morning services, I think the confusion people have of what needs to ha take place is seen because their services don't seem to be going anywhere. Or the pastor keeps things kind of at a very... Uh, I don't want to say shallow level, but they keep thinking at a beginner's level for, for new people to come. And yet most of their congregation have been in the church or, or have heard the message, the gospel message so many times. They need something that takes them a little bit deeper. Um, and so what we have to look at is how then do we address all the different levels that are present in our church, all the different life experiences, um, and, and make it applicable to everybody. And sometimes I think then... Um, yeah, you can't, I don't think you can do all those things within an hour, an hour, and a half, however long your Sunday worship is. And so that's why we meet on Wednesdays or Thursdays or both in Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and 
Tuesday mornings or whatever it is for your church. Because there's this realization of, yes, we need that communal where everyone's gathered and together, but we also need those different age-appropriate or spiritual maturity-appropriate levels that can address those different things with people. And sometimes it happens in the form of a podcast as well. <laughs> so thank you all for joining us. Please like and subscribe. Anthony, what is the next claim, which is a bit more of a question? When then does evangelism take place? All right, so this is a really important question for us because there are many people who think that the job of evangelism solely lies on the pastor. However, when we look at the world around us, and we even look at the history of the life of the church, there's been a lot of different eras. There's been places where strong revival movements have brought a lot of people into the, to the altar where they have accepted Christ. And then you see large sweeps in history where people, they, they may come to know Jesus because that's what their family did. You see other times where it happens because one person is talking to another person and it kind of happens not in a formal setting, but it really happens in an informal setting. And there are different ways that evangelism takes place. But the reason why I want us to talk about this so much is I really do want people to start to realize people have different gifts and graces. And we need to be capitalizing on all of those if we want to be effective of evangelizing in the church. It's not something which you can just put on the, the shoulders of the preacher on Sunday morning. It's something which needs to be going on throughout the life of the church. Now, evangelism, again, it may not look like something where it's just someone saying, well, I need to, to take a, a soapbox with me to work and, you know, in between our, our breaks, just stand up and preach to people. Maybe it does look by just living out the Christian life in a really way that proclaims the gospel and talking with people and explaining to people your faith. Maybe it looks something like that. There's a lot of different forms that this can take. Amanda, what are your thoughts about the question, where does evangelism take place? I know my thoughts are it takes place more places than just <laughs> inside the church building. Yeah, and, and I think that's something um, that may have to be kind of rediscovered for some people. Um, and I think some people have kind of already rediscovered it, but are still trying to understand it better and better. Um, and I think we hear this um, in the Shema uh, in Deuteronomy where it talks about, hear o, Lord, hear, o Israel, the Lord your God is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And then it goes on to talking about that it's going to be um, when you wake up, you'll remember it. When you lie down, you'll teach it to your children. It's going to be on your doorpost. It'll be on your forehead and, and bound on your arms. It's this idea that the law is going to consume every aspect of your life. Now, if the law truly consumes every aspect of your life, then your life will be evangelistic. And we talked about that the church's very nature is evangelistic. Now, in that, as much as we proclaim that, sometimes people need a reminder, though, that that doesn't mean you just kind of accidentally become evangelistic. It still has to have an intentionality. You still have to take time and effort to think it through. And yes, sometimes your context may be that you just simply live your life and people come to you and ask questions, or maybe when, when topics come up, you, you respond in a certain way. When disagreements or arguments come up, you respond differently than the rest of your coworkers. Uh, it may mean for some to get up on a soapbox and preach. I yep. would not advocate that in a sense of just do it whenever. I think that needs you need a lot of discerning and wisdom before you do something like that. Um, but that I wouldn't discount that. Um, evangelist, I know uh, probably 20, 30 years ago, door-to-door -door evangelism was really popular. And it's been something that's really died out because a lot of people just do not respond well to you just popping up in, at their front door being like, hey, have you heard about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Um, they just don't like that. But I've also seen it work like within the last year. 
and that freaks me out as as a millennial and also as an introvert. Uh, that's like, ooh, no, scary. Which, um, that kind of is a good segue into this other thought that I have about how revivals themselves look differently. Mm-hmm. And, and I really want this to be a concept we can win back. But however, in my lifetime, and I remember going to revivals as a kid, when I was, when I was really young and we would have a revival service, there would be, and again, this is when I was young, there would be more people at the revival service than there were at the Sunday worship service. However, the people who were coming were not unchurched people who were not regularly attending another church. It was usually people from the community who were like, well, we normally go to the Methodist church or maybe we go to a church of Christ throughout the week. But, you know, we, we have friends and stuff over there at the, the Nazarene church and they're having a revival. So we're going to go have good fellowship together. And when I was a kid, that's what revivals looked like. It wasn't a place that was still bringing in a lot of new believers. And I'm just being honest about that. I know the pitchforks are coming about all of this. <laughs> but as I've gotten older, what I have seen is you're lucky when you have a revival service if you have as many people at that revival service as you did. And this is not just something here at um, where I'm at, but I've seen this with a lot of churches. I've seen this with a lot of churches, and I've seen it be a common trend. And even then, it's not all the people that were attending on Sunday morning. It was still with people from the neighboring churches coming by. They were still having small enough. And I've seen this at so many places. And I think this really takes us to the places, well, what is the purpose of a revival? And the way that I actually think we get back to having a effective revivals is going all the way to the ancient roots of why we have revivals. And they, they come from the old festivals. Um, and I think getting into that fun festival mentality where you do have the word of the God at, at the center of it and you, you're preaching the word, I still think that can be at the center, but structuring it in a way that that is more festival centered, I think is a good way to, to get back to that. Manu, what are your thoughts on that simple thought there? I, I think there's a lot that that said kind of in that. And, and I think that's where good judgment needs to take place as we look at these old traditions of the church. And really, when we say old traditions, like when we say camp meeting, you're thinking, oh, that's a 50-year-old or 100-year-old tradition. No, this is thousands, like as old as the people of God old yeah. tradition. Um, and really, like particularly one of the ones that really camp meeting kind of sprung out of is the Festival of Booths which is the celebration of God's faithfulness through the people wandering in the desert. Obviously, they 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 wandered with tents, with, with temporary housing that they popped up whenever they were traveling. It was not buildings. And so this is why you have the celebration, kind of very much a camping, camp meeting experience. Um, but we have to look at them and say, how does how do they fit in our context? And so that's why we, we saw in Acts uh, 6 is you know, this is kind of a new problem for Peter and the disciples. They're like, oh, wait, what do we do with this? And I think they could have very easily gone, well, this is outside our realm, or this is new, or even we're just going to keep on doing what we've been doing. But they realized, no, we have to modify what we're doing to fit our context. But at the same time, we have to be careful that this does not mean throwing out traditions, but understanding why these traditions are what they are, and how can they speak into our, our modern or new context. And I think even in that as much as I say that is, you know, the word of God has lasted through a lot of different things. It's lasted through a lot of weird things, a lot of dangerous things, a lot of good things. Um, so at no point do we think we need to modify the message of God, but by all means, we're not going to look like John Wesley. We're not going to look like Moses and that's okay. Um, but I think something that both Moses and John Wesley all the way to our modern time, there's something that those great heroes of our faith can still speak into our lives and those traditions can still inform us today. Anthony, what do we have as the next claim? The next claim is... 
Which I think it's also kind of structured like a question, but yeah. that's okay. Yeah, it is. Where then does enrichment take place? And see, this is the reason why we really have to, to spend some time thinking about deep theological content, con- context and content and all of those things. Because there are so many times where I, I realize people are unaware largely of church history. I mean, even, I mean, we're not com- proclaiming to be like the, the guardians of church history by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. We're not Steve Hoskins. We are not. Um, but that at the same time, we have really crippled ourselves. The entire Christian world has crippled ourselves by not spending enough time in deep things like learning our history, learning who we are, learning the reason why we do things, and learning to differentiate the meaning behind our traditions and the simple habits that people have developed that may last 20 years. There may be a habit that's around for around, you know, 100 years, and then people kind of go back to an older form. Again, this happens throughout all of church history. There are even times where people thought it was popular to be walled up in the wall of the church. You know, things happen. People interpret things different ways, but the church always comes back and rediscovers its roots. It's not a new development, but it is rediscovering its roots. And one of the ways that you're able to do that is when you sit down and you think critically and say, I need to be deeper than just the the entry-level theology that I learned when I was a a young one in the faith. But now that I've gotten older, I've gotten more mature, I need to learn more. Anthony. Um, I will say, I wanted to kind of say this too whenever Amanda was talking about um, this idea of going deeper into uh, theology and just learning more about our faith. And I will say that it's not just like depth may not be enough to communicate the meaning that we're trying to say for a lot of people. And so just to kind of like explain that, um, a lot of times the evangelistic methods, they don't always give you the tools to defeat evil, to defeat temptation, to defeat suffering, and to defeat heresy. You know, these are um, things that appear in the life of a Christian that they have to be able to um, combat for the kingdom of God, you know. And a lot of times evangelistic messages, staying on that initial um, entryway, believe into um, Jesus Christ and you will be saved, orientation is not going to always be uh, necessarily enough to cover that. And so um, I think that that's what that I'm pretty sure that's what y'all mean by going deeper into it is, you know, yeah. learning more and specifically Which, giving us the tools that we need. The, the thing is, is we're not saying throw away evangelism because we're saying evangelism happens naturally when you do the deep things. You don't have to stay at the shallow end of the pool. You can get in the deep end of the pool and you can say if someone just happens to show up on Sunday, they're going to be evangelized by this anyway. Mm. But we need to be saying, well, all those other hours during the week, we need to be looking on bringing in new believers. We need to realize that, again, just if we're honest about ourselves, when we come to church services, most of the people around us are people who are already part of the flock and have been so for a while. Thus, we need to be looking at bringing new people in. And the evangelism needs to be something which goes on throughout the life of the church, something beyond the limits of that hour on Sunday morning. Yeah. Meta, what do you thought? Well, and I think that's like, so when we ask the question, like, you know, what is the Sunday morning service? Or I keep saying morning because that's typically what happens. But basically, when does the Sunday service, Sunday worship service, what is its purpose? I think, you know, regardless of maybe what a lot of people's intentions are, I think it does end up being a place of enrichment or hopefully a place of enrichment for believers. Um, 
and again, this doesn't mean we don't invite people to Sunday morning service. It's not that people cannot experience that initial call to salvation during the Sunday morning service. Uh, I mean, all things are possible. And I think if you plan, if you're, if you're a pastor or a congregation and you plan to make your service faithful to the gospel, then it will be evangelistic. Um, but I think because typically a lot of people who do attend that Sunday service are already Christians, then I think then pastors and churches need to plan in such a way that it is enriching and fulfilling to those who show up to their doors. Yeah. And that means having, um, and it's not about all what we can produce, but it's it's things like picking songs that are theologically sound, uh, sermons mm. that are in, in depth. And I think, I think we may just have a, like a, we need to like have a gap after that statement and let you say it again. <laughs> We need to do things that are enriching to the people who come to our doors, which include picking theologically sound songs. Yes. We need to do things about having good exegetical practices of researching our sermons to where they are not simply, even though the entire gospel can be wrapped up in the phrase, Jesus is Lord, we need to give, like Anthony was talking about, we have to give our congregants tools to know what exactly does that mean? Yeah. When we proclaim Jesus as Lord, that means doing things like tithing. That means like taking a Sabbath. That means not working certain jobs because they lead us to be a part of industries or um, structures that harm and oppress people. It, but those are complex questions that cannot be tackled in an hour-long sermon. Ooh, hopefully no one's preaching an hour-long sermon. Uh, an hour-long service. And yet they have to start somewhere. And so I, I think, so where does evangelism take place? Where does enrichment take place? It takes place in the church, but it's going to take place in wildly different circumstances with, with many different people. And, and that's the thing, like what I excel at as a minister may not be what Dylan excels at or Anthony, and they excel in ways that I, I don't. And that doesn't mean that we don't try to be all things to all people, but so by all possible means, um, as Paul writes. But it also means sometimes we have to realize, hey, that's why we're a team. That's why we're the body of Christ, that uh, we work together to doing things that we could not do separately. Um, and, and so where, where do these things take place? What is the purpose of a church service? I can't tell you what the purpose of a church service is for all times and all people in all places. But I think especially for a an American church in this context in 2019, I think it should be for enrichment but also with the prospect that anyone who walks in your door can experience the love uh, and the fellowship of Christ. And we are past our time, so we'll go ahead and wrap things up. And actually, that's a good place to wrap it up. Thank you much, Amanda. And again, send your pitchforks to us. I'm sure that everyone hates everything we had to say, um, but that's okay. That'll be all right. Um, just just remember to have grace and mercy in your heart and that we, we all love Jesus Christ and we want to be bringing people in again. Don't think that we're discouraging you from bringing people to a Sunday morning service. Bring as many people as you can. Go out and grab them. Um, do whatever you've got to do. Get them in there. Um, shy of becoming a drug cartel. Like Amanda <laughs> told us earlier that there are some things which one should just not do. Um, oh no, well. kidnapping. Uh, no kidnapping. No oh. kidnapping. Anyways, um, <laughs> with that being said, um, God love you, and thank you for, for joining us.